Good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. Um, we're going to wrap up our series today, Outrageous Love. We've been the, uh, doing this for the last uh, seven weeks now. And I want to just tell you, the reason we decided to do Outrageous Love, begin, we want, felt like we need to kick off the year by talking about love, is because there's so much hate in the world today. That was why we decided to do this. And it seems to be increasing by the day. You know, again, we saw it once again this week at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in, in Florida when, where 17 people were killed by this uh, crazed 19-year-old gunman. You know, when I was in high school, we never had to worry about lockdowns. We wouldn't even have known what a lockdown was. Um, we didn't have to worry about gunmen walking into the school and, and shooting up classrooms. Uh, back then, you go to a concert and not worry about a, a, a hail of bullets raining down on you. Or you could take a stroll with your sweetheart down a crowded avenue, arm in arm, just enjoying the evening and not have to look over your shoulder wondering if a truck might be barreling down the sidewalk to mow people down. And then until just recently, I mean, the one place that we felt that we could go to and be safe was church. But even that's changed because we just live in such different, different, you know, different times. And in my opinion, it's because hate and, is increasing and there's more evil and there's more prejudice and there's more anger and there's more meanness, um, more than I've ever seen in my lifetime. And that's why we felt like we needed to, to do this series on outrageous love, because the way you, the way you counteract hate and evil is, is with love. That's, that's how, how we do it. And I know that we'll leave the politicians to figure out what the political solutions are to that. Jesus never addressed political, you know, the situation of his day with political answers. He addressed it with love. And that's what we as a church ought to do. We need to address the situation not with, by coming up with political solutions and taking sides one way or the other, but by talking about love and by, by expressing love. And that's what we want to do. And so I hope you've gotten a sense in these last seven weeks of, of what it is that God has called us to do and how it is he has called us to live our own lives, and that's by loving each other. But today I want to wrap up the series by showing you one last thing, one final thing that Jesus had to say on this topic. And, and so I want you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chap Luke chapter 6. And also in your Baywatch, if you received a program when you walked in, inside the Baywatch is a sheet with the verses listed there for you. Or you can download our SBCC app, our South Bay Community Church app. You can get it from the Play Store or the Apple Store. Download it. All the verses that, uh, should be there for you. And then, of course, we have them on the screen. But, um, so before we get started, before we look at what Jesus had to say about love, let me just open up our time in a word of prayer. And I just want to let you know I'm, I'm thankful that my wife Cheryl and, and Laura Ellenberger, they, they both returned safely from Uganda this, uh, this past Monday. So I'm always uh, grateful for that when, when our teams re return home safely. So uh, let's open up our time in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into today's uh, message. Uh, Father, thank you. God, it's, it's so good to be together this morning, to, uh, just to, to worship and to be together as a church. And Father, needless to say, you know, our, our, on, on this morning, as, as we've experienced so too many mornings um, in the last few years, uh, our hearts are breaking for, for the tragedies that, the tragedy that occurred in, in, to, in uh, Florida this week. And God, we, it, 
things like this just leave us absolutely uh, dumbfounded and, and speechless. We, we don't even know, we don't even have the words, God, to, um, to convey, to, to say at a time like this, when, when there's just so much heartache, so much death, so much evil in the world. And God, all we know to do is to cry out to you and ask you, you are the God of the universe. You, you are the ones who created the heavens and, and the earth. And God, you are a mighty God and a loving God. And we ask that somehow through this very terrible situation that you would be glorified, that somehow your name would be magnified, that through this situation there in Florida, you would be lift, your name would be lifted up and people would come to know you and people would turn to you at a time like this. And God, I pray for your people that are there in Florida all around. Uh, in fact, I pray for your people wherever they're at, including the people in this room, that we would express love, that we would be loving, that we wouldn't become political, that we wouldn't become hateful and angry, but that we would be loving. And uh, I pray today that you will speak to us from your word and that you will show us exactly how it is that you want us to live. So do a mighty work today, Father God. Um, do a work in, and I know you've been doing a work in my heart. Um, do a work in all of our hearts, God, that we would be the people that you want us to be. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it was a little more than 62 years ago. In fact, it was 62 years ago last month that five brave missionaries flew a small Piper cruiser, much like this one, into, deep into the jungles of Ecuador to reach a Stone Age tribe of, of Indians called the Waldanis or the Alcas. Instead of being greeted when they landed on a small patch of beach uh, in a river, near a river, uh, instead of being greeted with lays and kisses and hugs, they were, they were greeted and met by a barrage of spears and arrows. And in an instant, five, these five young missionaries right here, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and Ed McCulley, were dead. All of them were married. They all had children. Now, what's Remarkable about this story, in fact, it was such big news back in 1956 when this happened that Life Magazine, which was the popular periodical at the time, they had a 10-page cover story on this incident. And they became martyred and they, were, they became world famous because of the sacrifice that they made. But what's remarkable about this story is that Jim's wife is in the middle, his wife Elizabeth, and Nate Saint, the one on the right to him, his sister, Rachel, went back into that jungle to try to reach the Waldanis. And they lived there among those people. And over time, they were able to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And many of them came to know him as their Lord and Savior. Over the years, Steve Saint, who was Nate Saint's son, was three years old at the time that his father died, his he grew up in the States, Steve Saint, grew up, became a businessman. But over the years, because this was on his father's heart, Steve would make trips back to Ecuador, back into the jungle, to see his Aunt Rachel and to minister alongside of her. Well, after living there for more than 30 years, Aunt Rachel finally died in 1994. And after she died, the Waldanis reached out to Nate Saint's son, Steve, and asked him if he wouldn't consider coming out to where they lived into the Amazon jungle 
and become their spiritual leader and take their aunt's place, take his aunt's place. And so he did. He gathered his family and they moved to this place in the Amazon jungle where there was no running water, no electricity, no nothing. He and his family, they went there. Now, growing up, Steve would often talk about how difficult it was not having a father, Nate Saint, and then his children would talk about, he would talk about how difficult it was for his children to grow up without having a grandfather because, again, Nate had been killed. Well, they were there. Now they were there in the Amazon jungle, living in the Amazon jungle. They'd been there for only a couple of months. And Steve's kids were drawn to this old man in the tribe that everyone called grandfather. In fact, the kids, Steve's kids loved him so much that they decided to adopt him as their grandfather because they didn't have one. And so here's a photo of Steve's son, Jesse, with his adopted grandfather, Minkai. And here's Steve with Minkai. And what blows my mind, we can show the next picture there. That's Steve with Minkai. That was Nate's son. What's truly mind-blowing about this picture, these two pictures and this story, is that Minkai, the guy on the right, was the very Waldani Indian who killed Steve's father. He delivered the final spear, the final spear into his heart, Nate Saint's heart that killed him. He was the man who killed Jesse's grandfather. And yet, they went and he became a Christian and they embraced him, they loved him, they forgave him, and they brought him in to their own family. When Steve's youngest son graduated from high school here in the States, Steve asked him what he wanted for his graduation present. And he said, I want Grandpa to come to my graduation. Are you kidding me? That was like asking for the moon. Because the Waldani was born in the jungle, they didn't have driver's licenses and birth certificates. But somehow, the miracle of miracles, Steve was able to get a passport for Grandpa. And Grandpa went to his grandson's graduation in the United States. It was amazing. And I, and I love this story. This is such a crazy story because it is a story of outrageous love. This is outrageous love. And, and it is a reminder... Story is a reminder that the singular distinguishing characteristic of a Christ follower is love. This is it. This is what sets us apart from everyone else. It is love. Remember what Jesus said? We looked at this several weeks ago, John 13, 35. He said, and again, this is a verse that's on your sheet or in your, in your uh, Bible. John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you, remember what he said? Go to church? No, that's not what he said, right? By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you read the Bible? By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you wear a cross around your neck? By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you pray? Doesn't say any of that. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if what? If you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. Love is a single, singular distinguishing mark of a believer. And the Apostle Paul even went so far as to say, if you don't have love, you are nothing. You are nothing. Well, today I want to impact one final verse for you, which, which I consider to be the, the crown jewel of love. This is the crown jewel of love. 
in my opinion, this verse sums up. It sums up what love is all about. It is better than any other verse in the Bible. This sums up what love is all about. And it's found in Luke chapter 6. I ask you to turn to Luke chapter 6 in your Bible. And uh, now Luke chapter 6 is, is often referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. Now most of us are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5 through 7. Well, Luke chapter 6 is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, except it's referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. Now, the reason the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount was this incredible sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached, was delivered by Jesus on, the, on, on a mountain. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. But it, it, we find it here in Matthew 5. I'm going to put it up here for you, Matthew 5, 1. And the reason why it's called the Sermon on the Mount is because it says here, seeing the crowds, he went up on this mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he, began, he opened his mouth and began to teach them, blessed are the poor in spirit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the whole Beatitudes. So it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, the Sermon on the Mount, that title is not anywhere, can't find it anywhere in the Bible, but it's a title that was given that came up, uh, that translators came up with, and they just put in their translations as a subtitle of, of a particular section. So when you come to Matthew chapter 5, it'll say Sermon on the Mount. This is the Sermon on the Mount. When you come to Luke chapter 6, it's, it's referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. It is a Sermon on the Plain. By the way, if you... You go to Israel, uh, there's a mountain in Israel that overlooks the, uh, the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and is believed, this is the place that is believed to be the place where Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what it looks like today. This is the mountain that overlooks the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, so it looks like today overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and here's a, a view of the mountain from the, from the Sea of Galilee, if you look up, so you can see that it's a mountain. It's not a big mountain. It's more like a large hill. But this is the place where it is believed that Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when you look at Luke chapter 6, again, very similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, but I'll put both of them up here for you. Luke chapter 6, verse 17 says, And he came down with them, so he came down, presumably from a mountain, and stood on a level place. And then the crowds came to him and began to teach them, Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's almost the same, same material as we find the Sermon on the Mount. But you'll notice that in Luke chapter 6, it says he came down and stood on a level place. In Matthew chapter 5, he went up on a mountain. That's where he taught them. So it's very, very interesting here. Um, in one instance, we have Jesus teaching on a mountain. In another place, he came down and he's teaching on a plain. So the question is, are this, is the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain the same sermon? Well, it's possible that it's the same sermon that there was a level plain on the mountain and that's where he came to. Or it's also possible that these are two different sermons delivered at two different locations, although the content of the sermons are almost identical, right? We don't really don't know. But uh, here's what I want you to know. In the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus made a statement that sums up what love is all about. That's why I call it the crown jewel of love. Now, before I show you what that verse is, let me show you what Jesus said love isn't, because he also talked about what love isn't. You know, when I started dating Cheryl uh, 25, 26 years ago, I fell for her right away. I fell for her right away. You know, one of my favorite country artists is Kenny Chesney. And I, you know, I don't, um, I don't know if you know this, but I, I like some country music, not all, but I like some country music. But he sang a song called You Had Me From Hello. I'm not going to sing it for you because you're all going to leave, but uh, 
but, but the lyrics, the, the part of the lyrics goes like this. This is the chorus. It goes, well, you had me from hello. I felt love start to grow. The moment I looked into your eyes, you won me. It was over from the start. You completely stole my heart. You complete, no, and now you won't let go. I never even had a chance, you know. You had me from hello. Well, that was Cheryl. She had me from hello. The moment she walked in, the day that our church started, September 20th, 1992, like, wow, she said hello, and I was like, wow. You know, fireworks went off in my head, right? And, we'd, and finally, when I started to date her, we dated only a couple of weeks, and now I was ready to tell her that I loved her. It was, I was ready for that SMG conversation, right? Ever had that SMG conversation? Spill my guts conversation. The spill my guts talk, SMG talk. But I was terrified. I was terrified that SMG, spill my guts, because, and tell her that I loved her, because what if she didn't love me back? What if I told her that I loved her and she said, oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice. What if I told her, I love you, and she said, thank you. Thank you? Are you kidding me? I just spilled my guts and you thank me? Right? What, 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 would I, what was I going to, worse yet, what if, what if she said, well, you know, I don't feel the same way. Oh, you know, I would have just died. It would've, that would have just broke my heart. Well, finally, but I just had to tell her. Because I loved her. I was falling in love with her. And I finally mustered up the courage after like the third date um, uh, to tell her. And so I, I, I told her I loved her. And guess what? She SMG'd back. She spilled her guts. And she told me she loved me too. And how could she not? Seriously. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what Jesus would have said about our love? Do you know what he would have said? He would have said, that's not love. That's not love. You see, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus gave us a litmus test for love. He gave us a yardstick, a measuring stick for love. And it came in two parts. And I want to show you the second part first. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 32. So look at verse 32. He said, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So in this section, Jesus asks a series of very heart-probing questions and the the most significant one is this. What good is it if you love someone who loves you? Big deal. What good is it if you love somebody who loves you? And the implication is that's not genuine love. I mean, that's not real love. I mean, let's face it. That's easy to do. Everybody can do it. We all do it, right? We all love. I mean, think about the people you love. Who do you love? Well, you love the people who love you. You love, your, you love your spouse, your husband or your wife because they love you. You love your children because they love you. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Mommy. You love your parents. You love your, you love your friends. You, you love the people who love you. I do the same thing. But what if someone doesn't love you? <laughs> Forget it. I don't, well, I don't love people who don't love me. Right? You're, you're out of here. I don't, I don't need you in my life. But in this brief passage, 
Jesus gives us the litmus test for love, and it's this. You can write this one down. Love isn't loving someone who loves me. Love isn't someone who loves you, because that's easy. Anybody can do it. It's a piece of cake. I can love the people who love me all day long. And by the way, it's not wrong to love people who love you uh, all day long, but it's a good thing. Because, but that's not real love. I mean, that's not the real test of love. You want to know what the real test of love is? Jump up to verse 27. This is the first part, right? This is the first part of what Jesus had to say in verse 27. Take a look at Luke 6, 27. He said, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Right? And in verse 27, will you underline, love your enemies. Love your enemies. See, the real test of love, you can write this one down, is loving someone who hates you. That's, that's real love. Right? Not loving someone who loves you, but loving someone who hates you. Real love is loving your enemy. And this goes to the heart of, of Christian love. This goes to the heart. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the essence of Christian love. Let me ask you something. Do you love your enemies? In fact, do you have enemies in your life? Do you know somebody in your life who doesn't like you or who just hates you? Do you know somebody? I have someone like that in my life. I have an aunt who pretty much hates me. She's the only aunt that I have left. Um, they're all gone now. But I have one aunt left, and she pretty much hates me. And this has been going on for decades, and I believe her hostility toward me is rooted in the fact that I am a Christ follower, and she is a follower of a very radical Buddhist sect, and it didn't, didn't help that I became a pastor. But the last time I saw her was several months ago at a funeral for my, for another one of my aunts who just passed away. And, um, and I decided that rather than ignore her when I saw her, because I knew she was going to be there, rather than ignore her, which is my usual MO, my usual method of operations, is I just don't say anything to her. You know, she didn't like me. I know she didn't like me. So rather than not say anything to her, I just decided, you know, I'm going to go there and I'm going to be cordial, and I'm going to be kind, and I'm going to speak to her. Well, several months before this funeral, um, so maybe six months ago, she lost her husband, who would have been my uncle by marriage. And so when I saw her a few months ago, I, I went up to her, and I, I, I greeted her as warmly as I could, and then I offered my condolences to her. And the entire time, as soon as the moment I went up to her and started talking to her, she wouldn't look at me. She looked straight down. And the whole time I was talking to her. So here I am having a conversation with somebody. And the whole time she just. And didn't say a single word. Later that afternoon, Cheryl went up. She had, Cheryl didn't know I had this conversation with her. But Cheryl went up to her and said, hi, how are you? How are you doing and so she's, you know, just talking to her. And Cheryl's just really sweet, right? And she's asking her these questions. And the whole time she just stared at Cheryl like, how are you doing? How are things going? How are the grandkids? 
Cheryl's like, wow, this is weird. <laughs> and she just walked away. You know, um, when her husband passed away, I didn't attend his funeral because I assumed that I wouldn't be welcome. Because when my grandmother, her mother, my grandmother passed away about a dozen years ago, it was communicated to me that unless I was willing to offer, um, participate in the Buddhist incense offering, that I was not welcome to come to the funeral. So I didn't go. I didn't go to my grandmother's funeral because I wasn't going to do that. Um, and, and I didn't, so when her husband passed away, I didn't send a card. I didn't send flowers. I didn't do anything. I didn't give her a call. Uh, and then after reading this passage this week, I realized that I have failed to love my aunt in the way that Christ would want me to. I failed to do that. And if you've ever wondered how you love your enemy, it's spelled out for us right here, verse, starting verse 27, 27 through 30. We love by doing good to them, verse 27. You just do good to them. Verse 28, we, we, we love our enemies by blessing them and by praying for them. Verse 29, if, if, if they hit you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek. If they take your, your a piece of clothing from you, you give them, you, you give them, to take your shirt, you give them the other shirt. Right? By, you, you, you love them by giving, verse 30. Now, not all of these apply to my situation, but some do. For example, I could have done good to my aunt if I wanted to. I could have sent a meal over there. I could have, I could have sent her a card. I could have sent flowers, but I didn't. I could pray for her, but I haven't. And I've been so convicted by this this week in my study that I just, so I've just started praying for her. That God would just draw her to himself. But mainly, I've just been indifferent to her, like, you know, my attitude has been, you don't love me? Well, I don't love you. Fine. You know, I don't care. That's been my attitude to her, toward her. But that's not what God wants my attitude to be. Because that's not love. And here's what's amazing. Sandwiched right in between these two sets of passages that we just read. Luke 6, 27 through 30, about loving your enemies. And Luke 6, 32, 6, 32 through 34, about what love isn't, is verse 31 which is the crown jewel of love. Take a look at it. This is the crown jewel of love, right in between, like a sandwich. Verse 31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. See, verses 27 through 30 and verses 32 through 34 are like bookends. They're like the bread, and here's the turkey or the sandwich meat right in between. Right, this is the crown jewel. This is the best part. This is the grand prize. As you wish that others would do to you, so do so to them. This verse, and you're probably familiar with it, you probably heard it, is commonly referred to as the golden rule. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the golden rule. First, the golden rule is not he who has the gold makes the rules. That's not the golden rule. This is the golden rule. Second, the words golden rule do not appear anywhere in the scriptures. Again, this is one of those designations that Bible scholars and translators came up with when they were reading the scriptures and they said, hey, let's give this, this, let's give this section a, a title or a heading. We'll call it the golden rule because this sounds like the golden rule, right? That's how they came up with it. And so it's not actually in the Bible, but it was inserted in various translations. Now, the golden rule appears here in Luke chapter 6, as we see on the Sermon on the Plain. And we also see it in Matthew 7, uh, 7, 12, verse 7, 12 in the Sermon on the Mount. We're not going to look at that today. Uh, so it's, we see it in both places. But let me clear up some misunderstandings about the golden rule. First of all, a lot of people think 
that the golden rule is this universal maxim on relationships, right? This is, you've heard people quote it. Everybody quote, oh, you know, this golden rule. Got to live by the golden rule, right? Sounds really good. The relation, uh, maxim on relationships. And it's true, it is actually true that you can find various forms of the golden rule in philosophy and in other religions. For example, a famous Jewish rabbi named Hillel, who lived about 100 years before Christ, said this. He said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. That's what he said. Sounds very similar to the golden rule. But then even before Hillel, around 3 to 400 B.C., the, the Greek order, Socrates, said this. Do not do to others which angers you when they do it to you. Again, it sounds very much like the golden rule. And even Confucius got in the act. Confucius said this. What you do not wish for yourself, do not do to others. And then finally in the Udana Varga, which is a collection of Buddhist teachings, it says this, do not offend others as you would not want to be offended. Interesting, and there's, there are others as well, but these, this is just a sampling. But here's what's interesting. Nearly every time we see a form of the golden rule, it is almost always negative. Notice the do nots, right? It is almost always negative. And this is consistent with a universal principle that whatever you do to someone, they're going to do to you. Whatever you do to someone, they're going to do to you. In other words, they're going to get even. If you do something bad, they're going to get even. It's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So do not do to them what you don't want them to do to you. That's why it's always stated in the negative. Kind of reminds me of a Facebook post I saw recently uh, from one of my Hawaiian friends. You know, we got a lot of Hawaiians in our church, right? And, I, and here's what it said. I thought it was interesting. I'm going to put it up here for you. He wrote... I need to vent because I'm so mad. And you all know I don't get mad too often, but, and he did the emojis, not, not me. Okay, this is all just as I, just as he posted it, I've given it to you. He wrote, I, I went and go to the market to pick up a few things. I'm waiting in the self-checkout line and I drop a $20 bill. Yep, that's me trying to hold everything because I don't like push one cart. I, I don't understand what he's saying, and I can't even read it straight, right? So forgive me. The dude in front of me pick him up. I think he picked up the $20 bill is what he's saying. I thanked him and held up my hand, and dude said, the things found on earth are kept by the collector and walks away. I, I was like, oh, and I took that part out. I looked at the person behind me standing in line. They couldn't believe it either. This can't be real life right now, right? So I took one deep breath and I turned towards that dirty bugger. I, I hope I could say that in church. Dude, thief, or whatever as you, call, you like call him. As I approached him, I said, do I look like I'm in the mood? Let's not play games. Go ahead and give me my money back. Dude had the nerve to ignore me completely and tried to walk away from me. So, of course, I left everything and followed him into the parking lot as I was trying to, as I was calling the police because one of us was going to jail. Not sure who was at this point, though, dude or me. <laughs> dude was almost running at this point to get away from me, which was the, fir which was the first sign of intelligence this dude has shown. When dude got... To his car, he put his bags on the ground, trying to quickly open the trunk. 
Oh, brah, I was boiling at this point. I decided that dude, finders keepers will just presented me golden opportunity for one great teachable moment. So I went back into track star mode and brap, I ran full speed, grabbed dude's bags and headed to my right yelling, the things found on earth are kept by the collector. <laughs> I hopped in my ride ignoring dude every attempt to get my attention. I was a little bit out of line, I admit, but dude was too. I was hot, but I really had a sense of satisfaction at the same time. Let me say this. I, anyone who knows me knows that one adult, I've never res- disrespect or act like this, so this is completely out of character for me. Whew. But anyways, I get home and open the bags, and wowee, what did I find? Three pack. <laughs> Three pack ribeye steaks, four pound shrimp, two pack crepe legs, one bag potatoes. Everything to make one bomb salad and a bottle of wine. But I do not drink alcohol anymore. I can't, I can't help but think to myself, wow, it's not bad for 20 bucks. <laughs> In all seriousness, I'm losing my voice. This was just one joke to see who would read to the end. Ha, ha, ha. Hopefully, I just put a smile on your face. Laughter is the best medicine. <laughs> I'm so glad he was kidding, right? <laughs> because I would have thought, man, he didn't, get, he didn't learn anything at church, right? Because he used to come to church. So, but what we see at play here is this universal law of whatever you do to someone, they're going to do to you. So watch your back. It is an eye for an eye. And then we have Jesus' golden rule. And Jesus' golden rule, the emphasis is not on the negative. It is not, do not, do not, do not. It is positive. Because the golden rule, his golden rule is not about retribution. It is not getting, about getting back. And the placement of it in verse 37, which is a stroke of genius. The fact that it immediately follows what Jesus said, his admonition about loving your enemies. This is, a, this is brilliant. Because by putting it there, what he was saying was, don't treat your enemies like they treat you. That's what he was saying. If your aunt is your enemy, the admonition of Scripture is, well, don't treat her like she treats you. If you drop a 20 and the guy next to you picks it up and says, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, you don't go over there and try to steal something of his. If your coworker regularly stabs you in the back, you are not to do the same. If somebody cuts you off driving down Crenshaw Boulevard, you are not to get in a road rage, road rage fight with them. I mean, just this week, I mean, I heard of two separate incidents on our freeways. One right here on the 105, when drivers got out of their cars during rush hour. Got, I guess it was bumper to bumper rush hour. And they got out of their cars and they started fist fighting on the freeway. Two incidents this week. Hope it was nobody in our church. See, this is crazy. The golden rule is not negative. It is positive, and it is distinctly Christian. Jesus didn't get the golden rule from some other religion. It was his idea, and it begins with a wish. It begins with a wish. Write this one down. The golden rule begins with a wish. Take a look at it again. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. It begins with a wish. And because it begins with a wish, it demands an answer to this very simple question. 
What do you wish, how do you wish to be treated? How do you wish to be treated? Ever thought of that? I've never really thought of that, but yet I know exactly how I wish to be treated. I've never sat down and said, oh, this is how I wish to be treated. But I know exactly how I wish to be treated. Let me tell you how I wish to be treated. I wish to be treated with respect. You know, Emerson Egridge, who wrote a book called Love and Respect, said that the greatest need of a man or the greatest desire of a man is to be respected. It's the greatest desire of a man. In his book, he referenced a survey in which 400, 400 men were surveyed and asked which negative experience they would prefer to endure. He had two choices, right? Which negative experience would you prefer to endure? 400 men. The first one was, would you prefer to be left alone and unloved? Prefer to, prefer to be left alone and unloved? Or number two, would you, would you rather feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone? Would you be, rather be unloved and left alone, or would you, be, would you rather be disrespected? 74% of the men said that they would rather be left unloved, alone and unloved, than to be disrespected. And disrespect, I mean, respecting is such a big thing with, with guys, and that's me. I wish to be respected. This is not about a title, uh, having a title to my name. I wish to be respected because I'm a child of God and because I'm a person of worth, just, I, just as all of you are. Therefore, I don't like to be yelled at. I don't like to be called out in front of other people. I don't like to be ridiculed and made fun of and bullied because of my ethnicity or because of my faith. I don't believe I've ever shared this story with you. I may have, but I don't remember. But years ago, um, when our church was still relatively small, I took a group of men from our church to a men's conference, a big men's conference. And and during one of the breaks, I decided to reach out to someone on staff with this organization that put the conference on. So during the break, I went looking for this individual. who He happened to be Korean. His last name was Lee. I remember that. And I had never met him, so I didn't know uh, what he looked like. And so I, didn't, so I was looking for him, and I finally decided to ask one of the staff members. They're all wearing the same colored shirt. And so I asked a staff member, I said, excuse me, but I'm looking for so-and-so. Uh, do you know, do you t- can you tell me where I can find him? And then... He said to me, he, he looked in me in the eye, and he, he said to me, does he look like this? And he pulled his eyes. I was stunned. I didn't even, I, I didn't even know what to say. I was flabbergasted. This grown man pulled his eyes to mock his ethnicity and mine. And I became angry. And then my anger turned all in a matter of an hour. And it turned to sadness at the realization that racism was still alive and well, even at a men's Christian conference. And it really broke my heart. Later, later he came looking for me and asked me to forgive him, which I did. But I will never, and I told him, but I will never forget what you did. Um, you know, I, I, I wish to be treated with respect. I can only imagine what some of you who, you who are people of color, probably most of us are, right, some way, shape, or form, um, when you endure that kind of bigotry, how painful it is. It's painful. 
I wish to be treated with respect, enough respect that if someone has something against me, that they'll come to me and tell me in person rather than to send me an anonymous note. You know, when criticism is cloaked in anonymity, that's another way of saying, I believe it's another way of saying, I don't value you. I, that's just my opinion, but it's, I, I don't value you. You know, if I wrote a note, think about this. If I wrote a note of criticism to my wife and my girls and I left it in, in her car or left it in their cars or left it, put it in certain places where open their, their drawers and it's, it's going to be inside there or I, I went to, snuck into Cheryl's office and I left a note there saying, you know, I don't like this about you and I, I, I think you shouldn't have said this and, I'll, and just anonymous, but I don't sign it and I type it out so that she doesn't recognize my writing. Or if I did that to our staff members, that's not love. That's not love. You, you, you go to people you love and say, you know, hey, I, can I just talk to you about this? I'm a little concerned about this. Or, you know, what you said here really hurt me. Right, that's, that's love, right? So I wish to be respected. I mean, do you wish to be treated with respect? And I don't think it's a guy thing. I really don't think it's a guy thing. <clears throat> I asked my daughter the other night, uh, Natalie, um, because in anticipation of this message, I asked her, I said, hey, Natalie, can I ask you a question? And she, I, I asked her, uh, he said, how do you wish to be treated? And the first thing, she, she sat there in her bed, she was thinking, the first thing she said was, respect. I want to be respected. I go, really? I said, that's interesting. Why do you say that? She said, because, because sometimes people come into work where she works, and they will treat her, she said, they treat me like a kid. You know, and they, they treat me like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, and it really hurts. Respect. I mean, does that resonate with you? Second, I, I wish to be treated with kindness. I like people who are nice, right? I think we do. Oh, we think we all do. But I like people who are nice. I like people at the, at the DMV who are nice. I like people that, I like the guys at Home Depot. When I can't find a part to fix a leaky toilet, I like the guys who are nice, as opposed to those who, who might feel like you're an imposition, like, what do you want? Well, it's right there. Just go down that aisle over there. And, I, and I've met a few of those. I like it when a young lady hands me my Chick-fil-A and my Chris Crot fries, and I say, thank you. And she says, my pleasure. As opposed to having a bag handed to me without a word, and then you pull out of the drive-thru, you open it up and find out that they got the order wrong. It drives me nuts, right? I like it when the server at the restaurant is nice. I like it when the flight attendant is nice. I like drivers who are nice, who acknowledge you when you let them cut in front of you. And oftentimes they'll cut in front of me and they won't wave and I'll just say, you're welcome! <laughs> and that will say, who are you talking to, Dad? Oh, never mind. I like drivers who are nice when you're waiting to take their parking spot. And they walk into their car, they open their car, they sit in the car, and, they're, and instead of leaving right away, they sit there for hours eating their Costco hot dog. Or, or, or they start to do their makeup, or they, they watch, start watching the latest Zach King uh, YouTube video. Instead of letting you know, oh, I'm not going to leave, I'm, I'm going to be here a while. Oh, thank you, thank you, appreciate that. I, I like drivers who are nice. I like nice police officers. So nice that when they pull you over to give you a, a citation, you want to smile and thank them. Thank you so much, officer. I've yet to meet a nice police officer that I would smile at. Well, actually, I, actually I did. I did get a ticket years ago, and he was so nice. I said, thank you, officer. 
I was in the wrong. Thank you. How many of you got a ticket like, and you were so glad you got, you got one, right? Yeah, I know. That's what I thought, right? <clears throat> I wish to be treated nicely. Third, I wish to be treated with honesty and fairness. I want to be treated with honesty and fairness by the mechanic, by the car salesman, by the plumber, by the electrician, by the insurance agent, by the doctor, by the lawyer. I hate the thought that I'm being ripped off or that I'm being taken advantage of. It drives me crazy. So what about you? I think that about covers it for me, but what about you? How do you wish to be treated? So I left some space there on your notes, right? This week, maybe today, I want you to write down three or four things, maybe five things. There's enough for five things. You can, if you need more, then write down some more in the back. How do you wish to be treated? Write that down. Because this is where the golden rule begins. It begins with a wish. And then it leads to a way. You can write that one down. The golden rule begins with a wish, and then it leads to a way. And the way is this. Do so to them. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. In other words, as you wish, you go now treat others in the way that you wish. Right? If you wish to be treated with respect, then you treat others with respect. If you don't like to be yelled at, then don't yell at somebody else. If you wish that others would respect you enough to, to confront you when they've got something against you and they're upset at you, then you do the same. Don't write out anonymous notes to people. If you do not wish to be judged by your ethnicity, by the color of your skin, your faith, your, even your gender, then don't do it to others. If you don't like to be patronized and demeaned, then don't do it to others. If you wish to be treated nicely, and who doesn't, then treat others nicely. Speak nicely. Drive nicely. Be helpful. Start here, right here in this room, as you leave here today, in the parking lot, and then continue it all throughout the week, in your home, with your roommate, with your family. And finally, if you, wish, if you want to be treated with honesty and fairness, do the same. So this is the golden rule. This is the crown jewel of love. Imagine what would happen if we all lived by the golden rule. We would change the world. Outrageous love would break out everywhere. And all men, all people will know that we are his disciples. You know, one of my, you know, people say, well, somebody asked, text me this week, said, how do, we, how do we pray for the people in Florida? We should pray that God's people who are in Florida begin to live out the golden rule. If they live out the golden rule, God will do amazing work even in the face of terrible hardship and tragedy, he'll do a great and mighty work. Let's live the golden rule. You know what will happen? Um, even our enemies like Minkai will come to know him. And that's what it's all about. And you know what's going to happen this week? You can leave here today and you can say, I'm going to live the golden rule. And you know what's going to happen? Someone's going to come and get in your face. Someone's going to come along and they're going to push your buttons. And what do you do? No, 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 right? The golden rule. Let's live the golden rule. Let's close our time in prayer.
Jesus, what a fabulous, fabulous idea this was when you came up with the golden rule and you instructed us on exactly how we ought to love the people around us. And that is by the golden rule, by how we wish to be treated ourselves. And God, perhaps no one else will understand this. The world will not understand this. Our neighbors, our friends, even people we live with may not understand this. But I pray you would help us to understand it and do it. Live it. Begins with a wish. And God, we all have a desire, a wish on how to be treated. Now, help us, God, because we can't do this without your help. We can't do this without your power. Some of us have people in our lives who are so difficult to love, impossible, that without you filling us, we can't possibly forgive. And without you filling us, we can't possibly reach out to them. Without you filling us, we can't possibly seek reconciliation. And so God, seal these truths to our hearts that we would become the people that you want us to be. Because it is all about love. This is what separates us from everyone else. But then if we don't love, then we'll be like everyone else and we will fail to bring you glory and honor. Forgive me, God, for all the ways that I have failed you. I have failed to love my aunt and others in the way that you want. Do a change in my heart. Do a change in the hearts of everyone here that we will love by the golden rule and then use us, God, to change the world. Thank you, Father. We love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.